The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on 94.7 The Pulse, the weekly wrap-up and word on the street. This is 11 on Friday. Well, first of all, thank you very much to Dennis for the last two hours of his program. He'll be back again next Friday. Vic, very good to see you in the studio once again. How are you? Morning, Mitchell. I'm very well. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, I don't want to keep starting this program by talking about the weather, but uh, last night was a wild night. Whoa. <laughs> was it ever? This morning was just unbelievable because my, my room's up a little bit and i up with the trees and it was they were just about breaking off. And some of the video coming through, there was one of what I think was an industrial precinct in Melbourne and looked like part of the roof of uh, one of the factories there was coming off and uh, blowing up. Peeling over, yeah. Um, Look, there's a bit of a... And you... We're first to announce it here on The Pulse. There's a scientific uh, announcement to be made about all this. Mm. And it's... um, Yeah, we're working very hard on it. And um, there'll be some conclusions soon, I think. We're on the track. Mitchell... We're working on the theory that the weather has contracted corona. (laughs) And gone out of control. Look, it's obvious when you think about it. The corona's everywhere, the weather's doing this stuff. Well, you know, you've got to put them both together. What about yesterday, though? It was a thunderstorm, then beautiful and sunny, then another thunderstorm, then sunny, then another thunderstorm. It's Mm. been very very spring weather. And Um, just keeping on the PowerCore website as well as on the way through, and right across our listing area, there are power outages indicated by the red alert. Alerts. Um, it seems to be quite a few Can't along the Ballerine the Peninsula. Uh, yeah, that's right. They're all um, red alerts, a power offline. So it looks like power out in parts of Anglesey, uh, power outs in Ocean Grove, um, Queenscliff, Point Lonsdale, um, Drysdale, uh, Indented Head. So big places along our listening area. So for those people that are without power and maybe listening to us on the battery-powered radio or uh, the pedal, you know those ones you can wind? Yeah, Yeah, they might Mm. be listening on that. Mm. Um, We hope that your power is restored soon because like it or not, we're very dependent on having power. Well, in the old days, it used to be an old valve radio. Do you know that? Yes, I've seen old historic radios. Well, they weren't that... Actually, my first car had valve radio. Yeah. But someone gave me one once. It was an emergency radio with a light, and uh, it was activated by... I think you either wound it, or you sort of just squeeze it, and the mechanical yes. thing creates yes. energy, and yeah. then you're uh, you're away. Yeah. So radio survives, and at least we haven't... Because we've actually gone off air in previous power outages, the big ones, which have taken the whole city off air when everyone goes off air. But We've got emergency here, have we not? Not, uh, no. not really. We've got solar panels, um, but also I think we're on the same grid as the Geelong Hospital, so if we were to go off, we'd be sort of the last last thing that they would load shed or take away was sort of on a priority. I thought there was here. a bike down in the back room where Dennis got <laughs> on that and pedaled I hard. think Leo pedals, doesn't he? Oh, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe hamsters going yeah, around the, mm-hmm. the hamster wheel. Yep, yep, pedal harder. Now, the other issue, of course, is that the countdown is on for six o'clock tonight. Mm. It's going to be surreal seeing all the people driving down from Melbourne to uh, oh, yeah. the regions. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, it's been said it's the last one, but given the powers that are going through Parliament at the moment... We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've said before, you know, we don't want to spend 2021 coming in and out of lockdowns. Look how that ended. So, clearly, um, it uh, doesn't necessarily mean much that they say they think this is the last one. We hope it is, yeah. uh, because we've been to 
Helen back in a way throughout this year. We have. Um, so it's entirely possible that it's the last one, but I wouldn't be um, locking that in just yet because we just don't know what's on the horizon, whether they have COVID plus or whatever. But um, the situation is that people are going to be probably heading towards Werribee just before six mm. and crossing over the border into regional Victoria, flooding down the Great Ocean Road. So if you're in Geelong and you're staying here over the weekend, I don't know, you probably would want to just take it a bit easy because I'd imagine every cafe, restaurant down the Great Ocean Road is going to be fully booked. Yeah, yeah and uh, there'll be, uh, there's been some reports on the radio already about the, about the quantity of accommodation that's been taken up. Yeah, exactly. And I tried to look at a couple of places. Um, just the weather might be a bit of a downer at the moment. I don't but think so. No, I don't think so. I think if it starts hailing and that. there's a thunderstorm and a tornado, people will still get in their cars and try and drive down. Wouldn't you do that? Oh, yeah. If yeah. you've been uh, locked up for 80 days or whatever it's been in metropolitan Melbourne. Um, but I'll be going the other way, the opposite direction, going Back into, into Melbourne. I'll be going into Melbourne just to see what's what because um, I've missed going up there. So um, I'll be very interested to see how much traffic is on the freeway coming back the other direction and hopefully I can get back later tonight uh, without any issues. Um, One thing I was going to talk to you, local. Yep. I sent you that picture last week uh, of uh, the plaque at the old Oval. Uh, I dropped it to you, whether you picked that up or not. I don't know, you might not have. You sent it to me on my phone? I dropped it to you on the, you were on an iPhone. I don't think I got that. Oh, Okay. Um, well, it's a picture, um, well, it's a, it's a plaque that uh, I've discovered, and I'm sure plenty of people know about it, but we might just revisit it. It's yeah, well, you found the airdrop to people that are, like, almost next to you, just FYI. Yeah, well, you were next to me, here. And then it would come up and say, oh, okay. sending you something, right. and you'd right. hit accept, well, so I don't know what, sorry. Um, that's, that's all right. Don't uh, take it as a snub. Let's do that now. Um, no people found. You're not turned on, that's why. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, oh, here we are. Oh, here we go. There you go. This is live to air. Here we go, yes. Here we go. It is live radio. Live folks. to air technology. Okay. At its uh, best. Okay, you've got it now. Right, so what's this plaque of? Um. Cryo Oval. Yeah. Now, beautiful plaque, and it's got some terrific information on it, which I can't open it. Once the home of the Geelong Football Club. Yeah. Cryo Oval yeah. was the home ground of the Geelong Football Club mm. from 1878 till 1940. Correct. And included the premierships of 1878, 1879, 1882, uh, and the championship in 1886 also. Yeah, there's a whole big long... Why, why are we reading this? Well, well, you're reading it out. And look, have a look at the uh, first cricket games from the first English 11. Oh, 1862. English uh, first uh, eleven and a whole list of uh, playing the um, the twenty two of Geelong and the Western District. So Africa. the England eleven in eighteen sixty one came down and played Geelong and the Western yep. District yep. at Corowa. But you know what? One of the curious things is if you Google Corowa Oval, and I'm pretty sure this is the, the fact, it won't come up. What it's won't come up? Corowa Oval. What it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist on Google. Oval non grata. Mm. So I mean, I, I think it—it's just one of those nice things to explore. It's—it's on—it's off the Moolap Road. Now I think, from memory, it's Holt Street. You go down, okay, and there's a number of little uh, reserves in there. You wouldn't call them ovals; they're just open areas. And this plaque exists in there, and and I thought it's just a lovely bit of Geelong history that's quite 
you know, anonymous almost. There's not much known about that. But um, it was the first, it was the home of the Geelong Football Club. My dad would have gone to football games there. Yeah, I wonder um, where or when the plaque was actually put up. Because I can uh, see Well, here. it says there at the top there by... Um, oh, does it? Uh, I think it does. Uh, 1987. The plaque was put up? No. Because that Geelong Football Club logo, that looks more recent, but it's not the most recent one. Um, that Geelong Football Club logo Plug was unveiled by Mr. P. M. Lush, manager of the England cricket, English cricket team. Um, because even the um, Geelong Cricket Association part says founded 19... Oh, no, 1896 to 97, not 1997, 1897. Yeah, n 1997. Anyway, there's a lot of, um, on social media, um, Geelong historical pages that you can go and have a look at and people get together and debate the history of different structures. And there's someone out there that knows something if you want to ask them a question Where's about this? that. Where is this? On, uh, I think it's Geelong Historical. Oh, okay. Or if you ever drive in on the Hamilton Highway towards Vinesford, you'd notice that there's a sort of blue half-finished shed on your left-hand side, like just the frame. Oh, yes, yeah. I have. I've often wondered about that. So someone put that up and said, what's going on here? And uh, the person answered, I've got no idea if this is true, I assume it was, that um, they wanted to make it some sort of museum, potentially car museum or something, and uh, they didn't get the proper planning approvals. And there so they stands. started building it before they had the planning approvals and must have gone insolvent or something and oh, it's a very strange structure too it's got a it's got the the water coming to the center and you know it's quite a i think it's quite a unique sort of a design yeah uh, i don't particularly like it but that's what they've well done. it's not really in keeping is it no um, but apparently there were all sorts of issues with the planning of it and that's why it didn't get up or wouldn't have got up and then they'd already started building it which bit i'm not a, sure bit of a monument now i wonder what yeah. they're going to do with that well i'm assuming Assuming it has to be removed at some point, doesn't it? But by who? Scrapped. Yeah, scrapped. It's an ugly thing. Well, you can't just leave a half-finished frame there, but it would have been there for a long time, wouldn't it? He might defend his right to do that. It's a free world. Well, it was a free world. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. Those developers, though, that are building all the new housing estates, it probably is not in keeping with uh, the marketing image they're trying to portray about no. the place those estates are to no. live in. They're probably... I'd say that the salespeople sort of turn the other way when they're talking to people. <laughs> if you're walking around and they say, oh, look over here to yeah, your left. That, oh, look at that. That's a rare sort of a magpie. <laughs> oh, look at that duck pond <laughs> there or those, those nice yeah. reeds or grasses. Um, <laughs> but we all know it's temporary. It's going to happen one day, but... Well, I don't know. Who would do it? Like, if someone erects a structure like that and they don't have the authority to do so, is it up to the ratepayers, the council ratepayers to I, come I, in? I think there is there is an avenue of the council to say it's, it's unsightly, remove it. So we, yeah, but if the person has since gone bank, I don't know if they have, but I'm assuming if you start finishing something and don't do anything with it, you might have run out of money, right? Correct. Or would you just leave it there? Or you could have died. Yeah. It could be the kids that own it. Yeah, could be. Mm. An old frame. So those are the things that you find. Now, so, um, so listen, just to just to, that plaque was open was unveiled in nineteen eighty seven. Did we ascertain that? That's, that's the, yeah. I've got a feeling the one below it about the football club oh, might sorry. be more recent. Just okay, because yep. only a thing is because of that logo, um, that Geelong Football yep. Club logo. Because oh, you are a font of knowledge. Mitchell, I think you're probably right. But maybe I should check. But I think that logo might have only been when they joined the oh, AFL. I don't know. Which no, would have been after 1987. It's been around since I was a kid, that one. That particular, but, you know. I'll have that's, I'll, not, that's not that I'll, long ago. I'm going to do some, <laughs> <laughs> go some research and come back.
Um, now, um, this legislation before oh, Parliament, yeah. I know you're keen to talk oh, about that. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just upset by it. Yeah. Um, look, from what I've heard of it and everything I have heard, it just goes too far. And the government themselves are saying, well, yes, we know it says this, but we're not actually planning to use it in that way or we're not planning on um, discriminating against people on this basis. We're actually only going to use it for that. Um, but I think the problem is... When you're in government, you don't just have to think about it. Even if we take them at their best and assume that they're not planning on using all of the full powers in the legislation, you've got to assume that uh, future governments may use it. You know what if I mean? If you're buying a used car and there was no warranty and the, and the guy selling it said, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll cover it. It's just winking a nod. Well, how many that's used, not the way business is done, is it? How many that's not the way cars, legislation is written. How many used cars come with a warranty? Seriously. Yeah, well, 163,000, we're going to give three months up till then or over then. I just Are you that. serious? I if you so. buy, you use. I think it's up to 160,000. That you, wouldn't be private sale, would it? No, 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 no. But no, a dealer. No, 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 private sale, I think it's buy beware, you know. But, but a dealer. A dealer, I think they have. Warranty. I think it's three months, isn't it? I and it won't just have to 160,000 K. Yeah. 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 But still, there's a, depending on what sort of car you like, um, there's a lot of cars out there that have a lot more than 160,000 well, no, Ks on No, it. something tells me, and don't quote me, that over 160, they have to give a three month warranty, uh, limited three month warranty. Do you know who would know? Len? Our good friends, Shane and Joe, down at Kellerman Motors, oh. listen in the workshop. Um, so they it, would be shouting at the radio about okay. this. Okay, and 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 the, the the board is starting to glow. I think they are. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, we digress. We're not talking okay. about cars. We're talking about legislation. Okay, uh, so it's just a bit upsetting, uh, and it was rushed through. It's only going to be debated for one day. Is yeah. that correct? Can they do that? Why can they? How can they do that? Well, when you are the government, you can do whatever you like when you have a commanding majority in the lower house. Right. Um, in that, you know, there's all sorts of tools you can i don't know like in federal parliament i'm assuming state they can just say i move the member no longer be heard and silence members of the opposition mm. that um say things that they don't like so you know there's extensive powers if you've got the numbers to support you so there were 200 odd reports tabled yesterday for yes scrutiny. which is different again bit, uh, that's going to flood the market isn't it with uh, responsibility and and scrutiny? of course yesterday they're out talking about the big announcement was the northeast tunnel being extended so i think the tunnel now is 6k underground so while they're out talking about that a big a big news and good news story to to uh, run the run, well, the, politicians, run the agenda politicians love wearing hard hats don't they so the premier was in his hard hat yesterday and yep. just loving it and i think the media love it as well um, but yeah, while that's all bubbling away, the Northeast Tunnel, uh, the focus probably should be on the legislation, just because from what I can see, it just goes too far in a few ways. One being the Premier has a lot of authority to call the pandemic, I think, pretty much on his own, and then it gets reviewed by Parliament every three months. Well, you know me, Mitchell, I've always been hard line on this virus, and to date, it's drawn results we've had our we've had our few months in the sun it did work getting back to zero but subsequently that's changed and and it's obviously changed the the rules have changed the goalposts have moved why are we now moving into harder legislation whereby 
it's not going to be productive if we do lockdown. Just that, to be that's clear, the concerning though, part. There may me. be a, a reason for a lockdown in the future, whether it be that the yeah. hospital system's overwhelmed or some new strain or new pandemic starts. Mm. But I think the problem is the mechanism by which the lockdown comes about, because under this, from what I can understand, the Premier has a lot more authority to just call it rather than having well, to get a, an emergency declaration passed through Parliament. Well, uh, I would say that that would be the way to go because that's what Parliament is for, uh, rather than have a Premier that's ruling by decree. Yeah, I would have thought a few more checks and balances and a bit more oversight could be put into this legislation. Like, for example, the point about the detention of someone and uh, if you want to appeal the detention, it doesn't go to a court, it goes to a, what was it, DRO, Detention Review Officer, who is someone appointed by... That's a scary term. Mm. And there's someone appointed by the indirectly or directly the Premier. So, you know, what's the point of having a review officer when it's essentially the Premier who's the one that gets, or the health minister that gets to decide when you're in detention? Look, I'm not, you know, I'm not against, uh, I am am against people breaking the law and putting us all in danger. Oh, look, I don't mind having detention and lockdowns, but you've just got to have some checks and balances. And even if we take this government at its best and say, oh yeah, we believe there's not going to be any more lockdowns or they won't be using the full power of the legislation, if we take that very best point, and I can understand why there'd be significant doubt as to whether that's actually true, but let's assume that they're right. The problem is what about future governments that come in and use this legislation for the wrong reasons? Well, it's hard to get them to relinquish power. Correct. Uh, You know, once these are entrenched, it becomes the norm. And in fact, then it starts to spread to other things as well. Now, I did see Richard Reardon. Yep. Member for Polworth. Cannot be a trick of YouTube talking. And uh, I'm not sure of the gentleman who was opposite him. But he was talking and uh, he did say that... Subsequent uh, to um, a certain period of time, 30 constituents had visited his offices to have a bit of a blow-off. Now, it was during the period of lockdown at the time, I think. It must this have been, year? It, it, yeah, it must have been during a breach of the law. It, it constituted a breach of the law. Them coming to the, the office. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, if the office, well, I suppose even if the office was within 5K of where they were, assuming that was the restrictions at the time, uh, to go to an MP's office was not one of the four reasons to leave the home. Correct. It? Correct. So it would have been something like that. And this is from his own lips. Okay. Now, um, there might have been 30, but there might have been more than 30, but 30 were. Uh, the subject of this conversation, um, they came to his office to have a bit of a blow-off, as you do, mm. as is your democratic right. They didn't come to have coffee and cake. And the, pol- <coughs> the police, excuse me, accessed the CCTV footage, mm-hmm. which they can do because he's a... They have MP, right, yeah. He's an MP, they have yep. a right to. Yep. They identified the 30 people and find them each for going to see their local member. Now, that just doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't sit well with me. But what if it was under the old paradigm where we said, no, we've got to lock down hard and fast, and let's say hypothetically these people were spreading the virus and putting that method in jeopardy? Would that still... Um, Look, it's, it's, it's crossing over into democratic rights, and 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 who and what we've expected uh, from our government here in uh, here in Australia and here in Victoria, up to date, and we're losing those rights. And if I wanted to 
form a demonstration against that. And I announced it now. And I was trying to uh, organise a few people to meet me on the street. I'd go home tonight and the police would be on my, on my front doorstep, Mitchell. Mm. Now, we can't move forward and we can't move back. A Victorian's happy with that. They cannot forget this at the next election. But all protest was also not allowed during this time. That's correct. If you wanted to express your right, whether it was for whatever so, cause, uh, it technically wasn't allowed. Well, well, you hit it right on the head there, for whatever cause. Now, we see it in South America. We see it in these two tin pot uh, uh, governments where people are being, you know, locked up for demonstrations and we're being locked up for not demonstrating against lockdown but we're being locked up for the actions of the government but we cannot express anymore but what if it leads if keeping people and not having protesters what if that leads to a better health outcome because the virus isn't spreading as violently Well, well you know what these things are debatable and i think that that um i think that that's a huge price to pay um, where a political point can't be made uh, and and expressed to the government by normally, normally, um, our, our normal rights of response. Now, I make the point that as we move forward, there's no retraction of this power. This power is going to stay in place. And, yeah, I think and, that's and, the concern. And, and, and where we we're all 80% plus vaccinated, it would be... It would be an overreaction to lock people up for that. But I would be very sure that that's what would happen if I tried to organise a rally. But in summary, if the virus did go out of control and for some reason the hospital system was overrun or whatever and they needed to use another lockdown, would you be in favour of that? But you'd just like a bit more of a checks and balances system on this legislation rather than it unilaterally being the Premier or the Health Minister deciding... Well, well, really, I think, when you I think, think about it, it's the I Premier, because the I, Premier appoints the Health Minister. That's correct. And, and I think, moving forward, these powers are overblown. They're, they're, they aren't required. We've done what we should have done. We've gotten vaccinated. And I think that maybe they could put a limit on the size of the rally, but this is a huge price to pay, not being able to express... A democratic discontent mm. uh, against a premier who's running a very heavy hand at the moment, uh, ruling by decree. Now, There's no doubt about that. Something else um, that I mentioned on the program this week: a friend of mine who works in Parliament for one of the MPs uh, sent me a message suggesting that there's three MPs who are locked out of Parliament because they haven't shown their vaccination certificate. Uh, now that's maybe fair enough, but one of the things I think they should have done is to enable. Um, a way for people to participate, although I'm now saying it and just remembering that in federal politics, they brought in a way for people to participate in Parliament remotely via Zoom. As far as I know, the Victorian Constitution doesn't allow that, so it's not possible in state politics. However, um, I believe there's no voting allowed over electronic platforms. You have to be there in person yeah, to vote. So they're going to not vote. And the irony is by taking a stand on vaccinations, they're now going to let this legislation sail through because you'd have to do assume... We know, do we know the name? One of them I know is Catherine Cumming, um, who was an MP for Western Metro, um, was elected for the Darren Hinge Justice Party, but then quit a few days later because they didn't make her the leader. Uh, another one is, uh, I think it was David Limbrick, 
Yep. And uh, there is one other MP, which I can probably so, look up. So, look, I, I respect their right to be upset about vaccinations. I respect it. But at the same time, they have to suck it up and they have to do their duty and represent the people. It's not about them now. They're getting vaccinated for everyone else so they can represent their constituents. And potentially vote down legislation that their constituents would And they can make it as plain as they like in Parliament how upset they are about having to be vaccinated, be there, but they're there for the benefit of their constituents. And that's what they should do. It's their duty. And they shouldn't be missing out on this vote, but they are going to now because it's time delay. But yeah, the government is very good at getting... So they didn't have a majority in the upper house, clearly, but they're very good at getting legislation through. I don't think any... No, no contentious piece of legislation has been voted down, whether it was, you know, lengthening the tolls on the city link, increasing the tolls on the city link tunnels, um, all of those bits of legislation and everything else just sailed through the upper house. So, were these going to be no votes? Uh, you'd, I mean, I can't preempt how anyone would vote, but you have to assume if someone's saying, I don't want to show my vaccination certificate because I don't want to, or I don't trust it, or I don't trust you, or I have a right to privacy, or I haven't got vaccinated, you can't then see them going, well, that, yes, let's that, bring in this extensive power. That, that's upsetting to me. They should suck it up and get on and do their duty. I understand that they're upset. I express that. Uh, but they need to do their job of why they were elected or they need to get out, you know? That's, yeah, you're that's probably very, right. It's very clear mm. to me. That's their duty. Get in mm. and do it. We don't want to fight a war. No one wants to go to war, but we do. We have to go to war sometimes. Well, we need people that we've elected to vote on our behalf. Um, as far as I know, all the MPs for this area, they're all going to be there, but um, we probably know how they would vote. Yeah. So the five MPs for Western Victoria, um, you've got two Labor MPs, you've got one Liberal MP, Beverly MacArthur, uh, you've got Andy Medic, who tends to vote with the government most of the time and probably would on this, but I've actually got him coming up on my show on Monday, and uh, if he's on, this will be one of the big points of conversation. Subjects, I would say. Yeah, and uh, the other one is Stuart Grimley from the Darren Hinch Justice Party, who was complaining this week that the government didn't even brief them on the legislation and they had to find out about it on social media like everyone else. That's weird. He wasn't happy about that. Um, he came on the show this week. But I think the issue is, clearly, that they don't tend to vote with the government. So the government's probably dealt with the MPs that vote with it and hasn't perhaps briefed those that don't vote with it. Just along those points, though, New South Wales is not going through any of this. They're, they're, they're releasing, they're, they're relaxing, and they're, they don't feel the need to go into this strong, yeah, strong-arm tactics on legislation regarding controlling the population, and that's what it is. I think you'd, I'd have to check, but I think their state of emergency systems are different. Like, um, someone told me at the time that when we were debating the extension of the state of emergency here in Victoria, that the ones in other states don't even expire or something. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they said. And of course, my response was, well, just, to, just because they do it somewhere else doesn't necessarily mean that's the right way to go. And I think, yeah, by all means, have state of emergency powers, but let's have a few checks and balances on there. Um, um, even if you think that this is a great government doing a great job and you support everything they're doing, at least to protect against future governments who you may not like because you know how democracy works. Every now and again, sometimes the other side has a go. Well, like I said, we've, we've done everything we were supposed to do. 
why are they strengthening the laws? I, I just don't get that. I think it's because the state of emergency powers run out. I don't think they can actually run. I don't think they can have another state of emergency because it's already been what two years. Or... But they're going to. They, this legislation is about replicating them. Yeah, so it sort of supersedes that. So they couldn't get any more powers, from what I understand, from the state of emergency. So this legislation is kind of designed to replicate the powers that they would get, or in some so cases, what's take them it, further. What's it called if it's not state of emergency? Ah, there's a name for it. COVID. Uh, no, I can find it. Is it like the Victorian Public Health Protection Act or something? Yeah, well, that's that's real political speak, isn't it? That's so I upsetting just it. to hear that. And and just let me ask you, when's the next election due? Is it November, November next year? November. I thought so, less yeah. than four hundred days now. Anything in that legislation that could help him to postpone that? No, no, I haven't heard anything to that extent. Well, it doesn't surprise me that there could be. Well, I think that would be a serious problem because we have fixed terms in the state and have this for a long time. Exactly what I'm getting at. It's the, how do we know? How do we know? But we've had fixed terms for a long time. So to change that, I think there would be a problem. Mm. And I think it's very hard to actually get out of having a fixed term election. No, that's um, not so, a question. Uh, yeah, and it'll be very interesting to see what the political climate is because there's a bit of angst about this legislation and perhaps a rightly lot, so, a but lot of angst. will people just forget about it, move on and then in November vote the way that they always have? Well, it's sneaking up on them and, it, and Australians are very casual. They, yes. they do tend to, you know... Short it's, memories. It's, it's the long weekend they're worried about. <laughs> and That's uh, true. And, um, you know, but the, the opposition have vowed to repeal this legislation when they get back in. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, we'll take a break. It's twenty-eight minutes to twelve, and uh, we'll come back. There's a few other things I see you want to talk about. One of them is the uh, ID for people going in to vote. Yes. Um, So hold that thought. I'll come back to you after the break. Until midday, you're listening to Eleven on Friday on ninety-four point seven, The Pulse. Well, 25 minutes to 12, and I'm just giving you fair warning, Vic, that I'll be going away or going well for the back half of November, so that means you're going to have to be pushing the buttons and driving this yourself. Jury, jury's out on that one. You just berated <laughs> me. I wasn't using the mic right. How am I going to go with that board? I didn't berate you. I just said gently and quietly and calmly off air. I apologise, folks. But there might be a, a better way of doing okay. it. Uh, but yeah, maybe what we'll do next week is we'll switch seats. Oh, I'll sit where you are and God. you can you can Go drive. solo. Yeah, it's kind of like you'll be in the left seat <laughs> and I'll be on the right seat <laughs> and you okay. can fly this machine. All right, okay. Now, um, ID when going in to vote, my stance on it is I don't think it would be that big of an impost to people, but I can understand why people have reservations. However, I don't think that voter fraud is a big enough problem to actually sway elections. So what do we need it? stats on voter fraud? Very, very minimal, I would say. I think, it is, yeah, very minimal. So why are they, why have they floated this? Uh, there must now, be a reason. Is this in New South Wales? This is think, not the feds, I think, is it? Yeah, it's a fed. the feds. That's what so I So in yeah. federal elections, you would need to show... That's ID. what I'm, my yeah. understanding is. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, um, why did they there say? must be a reason. Did they say what the reason was? Well let's, just, well, let's just leave that one out there for the moment and ask the question about people and what sort of ID you would need yeah, so driver's license. So my point is, there are a lot of people out there that wouldn't have a driver's license. Key pass. All that stuff. I mean, there are people out there in country towns that wouldn't be able to vote. Medicare card. Yeah, but... Problem is, Medicare card's not photo ID. There are a lot of people out there that don't have this stuff, Mitchell. Mm. I mean, I, think, I don't think it's a democratic 
So I don't think it's a democratic suggestion at all. Well, I think it would be acceptable to bring it in if there was a huge issue with voter fraud and even if they could actually give examples because um, they do have examples every time where people duplicate vote and go around to a number of different polling stations. Although they've resolved that now because they've got electronic roll marking. I'd just like to know why they floated the whole proposition. I, I, I find it curious. It wasn't an issue here. It seems to be very minimal. Why impose this? I am, I'm, I'm not a bureaucratic man. I don't see why we should have to... Yeah, it works fine. I think Save the point is, fine. most electorates, there are a few notable exceptions, but most electorates are decided by, at the very least, 1,000 votes or 800 votes. So, you know, there'd have to be a lot of voter fraud out there to actually sway an election result. There's a couple of notable um, results that have been very close, like the seat of Ripon at the state election in November 2018. Um, that was only decided by 13 votes. Mm. So, you know, a couple of very small examples where but it's what been you, very close. what you do in those situations, you have a recount, don't you? Yeah, they had about three recounts, I think, in well, Britain, and then they brought and in the top scrutineers. And and that's fine. That would certainly obviate any, any fraud. But if there had been doubt about that election, like if there had been voter fraud or duplicate voting... We would and, have heard about it. Yeah, but if there'd been allegations of that and, you know, people had voted more than 13 times um, in a duplicate fashion, then they'd probably have to do it, like, recall the election and do it again, rerun well, it. Well, you know, let's just leave the question out there. Why have they floated it? I'm curious. I just don't... I don't get it. Did the press ask them? Or are they just control freaks? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if they can point to evidence which suggests it's a big problem, then I'm listening. Um, but I just don't think it's that big of a problem. It's not broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, why why have that impost on exactly. lots and lots of people who are living very minimally yeah. that wouldn't have, a, that wouldn't have a, a license? It's like the people that try and bring in electronic voting. And, uh, you and know, you're removing uh, their... Paper voting works fine. Yeah, I mean, don't you're removing their... That's right. You're removing their right to uh, democratic votes. And, th- and that's a big thing in our country. Well, there would have to be some mechanism where people without a driver's license, for example, could still vote because, you know, I don't think you'd ever have a situation where people that didn't have a driver's license wouldn't be able to vote. Well, look, not everyone has a passport. Not everyone has a Medicare card in their pocket. There's a lot of places out there. And I don't want to start naming them, but there'd be a lot of places out there where people didn't, and I think that they would be put off, bugger it, I'm not going to go and have to show my ID, and that's that's the other thing, they just probably don't feel they should have to do it. Mm-hmm. Another, Again, it's another impost on something, we, it's, it's, we, we've never had to do it, it's a democratic right to front up, get ticked off, and it's worked fine, so I, I'm against that one. I am very curious as to why they floated the whole notion of it. I'm at the moment against it, but if someone can point to rampant electoral fraud to the point where it actually decides elections or puts seats in jeopardy, then I'm listening. Well, there's um, a man but, in America that could. But. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, seriously, a lot of what he's said... Um, Fell by the wayside. Well, they've run the test and things didn't add up because, mm. you know, they say, well... For example, this box of votes for Donald Trump went missing and this box of votes for Joe Biden suddenly turned up. But when I've been in there, I've been in the counting room at elections watching the count for candidates being the scrutineer and um, votes scatter all over the place in that you don't have one box of votes uh, that's come in and it's just for this candidate or that candidate. When you're watching the count, it's, you know, one for this person, then this person, and it's just a a scatter of votes. And then, you know, after they've counted about 100 votes, um, a trend starts to emerge. You can see whose pile is bigger, but it's not like you get 
votes and 100% of them are for Donald Trump or 100% of them are for Joe Biden from a certain location. That's very untechnical, but yeah, you're saying that the that it's a visual thing. You just well, when they so you put you know you go in and vote, you fill yeah, out yeah, your ballot, yeah, you yeah. put it into the ballot box. Um, the ballot box has a seal on the bottom of it, yep. and then the scrutineers have to watch them break the seal. Yep, um, and the same scrutineers are there at eight o'clock in the morning when they put the seal in place, so they mm. check that the number matches and all that. Yep. And then when they open up that box of votes, um, they're not all going to be for one candidate because random people during the day have voted and put it into the box. So when you open the box, the papers just go everywhere and then they have to start then sorting through them into piles. But scrutineers are watching the entire process from the start to the finish. Well, our democracy's come under threat from a lot of, a lot of things lately, including even social media. Mm. But it makes us just value it very, very deeply. And that's what gets back to the subject we spoke about earlier. Uh, it, it's under threat. I feel it's under threat at the moment. Well, and and I think that that's a curious, a curious, you know, proposition. Mm. But yeah, I don't think electronic voting is the way to go. But luckily, I think people have gone off that idea a little bit because I think it was the maybe 2013 or 2016 election when people said, oh, why are we waiting so long for vote counting to take place? They should just hit a button and it spits out the results at six o'clock. But, you know, I think people have started to go back off that idea now. Maybe because they've made, well, I don't know. I mean, I just haven't heard people say it, but maybe it's in part because um, in the US there's all that talk about the electronic voting machines. And I just think having that paper record, yes, that's right. It's yep. just fantastic because any time you can go back and count the paper. Whereas yep. with the electronic voting machines, yes, there's different ways you can record it and have integrity in the recording system, but um, there's always that sort of doubt in the back of your mind. Yeah, well, paper can't be hacked. No, well, it's, and it's, been said that they're going back to actually typewriters in some of these high security buildings because they can't really yeah. typewriters. Yeah, 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 yeah. What happens if you have a typo in a typewriter? You well, use liquid paper, don't you? Oh, you bite your nail and it's like, oh damn, and you get a little bit of white out, and away you go. Um, but uh, it's amazing when you look at those beautifully typed letters done on a typewriter from years gone by. They speak to you, don't they? Yeah, but I was looking at them and I just think, how is it that that typist doesn't make a single mistake? Because it's not like on a computer where you just hit the backspace button and you know get on with it. But when you see close up those keys hitting the paper, mm. and they're going, you know, they're they're scrutinising that type. Mm. Actually, it's got character, hasn't it? Really well, is. in cinematography, they just love that, don't they? Where you've got the close up of the typewriter and the keys and the click, 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 yeah, click, yeah. and you know, it's that that feeling of things are happening. Yeah. You Do you remember the old telex machines? No, that would be well before my time. Oh, they used to just... Sp- they'd spit out... They had a tape with holes in it. They'd yeah. just spit out all these... Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. the old telex. Yeah, before my time. Well and truly, I think. Uh, now, um, Afghanistan. You got oh, an update for us about that? Oh, well, I just... Listen, I just... Uh, Refugees from Afghanistan? Karen Andrews speaking about it this morning. What did she say? Oh, uh, uh, Sally Sarah was questioning her on... um, uh, She's, what is she, the Minister for Home Affairs and... Yeah, anyway, Sally Sarah was was cross-questioning her on why certain visas haven't been granted to her, to our... Uh, ex-employees over there in in Afghanistan and specifically one chap was killed and he died in our uniform 
So were these the uh, the translators and things? That's right. Yeah. He died in our uniform, and certainly you would think that his family might have got an entree uh, into Australia as a result of that, but she, she refused to be drawn on that, which I found what? that to be very upsetting. Or well, what did she say? Well, uh, she, she just changed the, the subject, and Sally Sarah persisted, and she said, no, I want you to answer the question. Mm. And she said, well, I am answering. It was something like this. I am answering the question. Um, we're doing all we can. And I won't be drawn on anyone. Yeah. You know, and I, I just think it's an indictment yeah. on our policy in Afghanistan. The, the, the Prime Minister had a gold, gilt edge moment to say, those people are here on, on emergency visas, they can stay. We, you know, previous governments have done that. And now that the moment's passed, um, it's not going to carry the same weight. It would be seen like a breach of uh, principle to do it now, but he had the moment. He had the moment, and he had the emotion, and he could have implemented it then. But he can't do it now. He's lost the moment, and I and I think it's just one-eyed view on immigration that's very upsetting. It's not who we are as Australians. And you have to remember, of course, that Afghanistan continues to be a concern, but it has gone off the major media it, it coverage. It has. It has. And uh, it, that's the way it goes now, isn't it? When you have your big media coverage, it's short-lived. Isn't it sad, though? Those people are going through all sorts of blazes now at the hands of those uh, Taliban, and not only that, ISIS, and they're fighting each other. It's, it's quite a complex situation. Mm. Uh, why couldn't we have been a little, had a bit more forethought and got those people out? But again... Uh, one of the, and it wasn't in this particular interview, one of the uh, reasons for not uh, um, not giving, um, Alex Hawke actually said this, well, we don't like to give out visas because it's very dangerous for people making their way to the airport. If they've got visas, it's a very dangerous trip now. Why would you even utter that? It's up to them. Give the visas out and yeah, let them get there. Seems slightly He, he said that you're putting them in danger mm. by giving them visas because they'll be fighting the Taliban to yeah. get to the... Now, Sorry, but it's, you know, that's, you're outside your pay grade. Just give them the visa, you know. They, 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 they did their duty for us, let them in. That's the Australian way. I mean, you would probably like to think that this had been sorted out before the US departed Afghanistan, but at the same time, maybe they couldn't have foreseen what actually happened now. But, but Mitchell, we said it on the that. show um, a week or two prior that we're worried about the, 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 the people there that work for us in that. Mm. in that capacity and that why wasn't the government doing anything about it? Did it play into their hands of just not opening the doors? Is that, that's what concerns me, that they've got this overarching principle of not working with the boat with the people smugglers, which we don't want to do anyway, but as I said there was a guilt edge opportunity for the government to say, those people are here now the 3,000 I think, they can stay, we can, you know all bets are off with them, they can stay. Well, that didn't happen, and the, and the moment has passed. I don't think we can revisit that now. Um, just to change the subject slightly, there's some photos emerging of the damage by the extreme winds. I think we can say extreme. Um, uh, what did what they goes say back to my previous theory, Mitchell. <laughs> what did they say the wind was gusting to? Was oh, it 160k? Yeah, it's a lot. But um, just some photos of well, trees falling on vehicles. Okay. Well, it blew my silver beat over in the backyard. So what happens if you've had a tree fall on your vehicle... Um, I suppose your insurance company is the first port of call, but they would be inundated at the moment with insurance well, claims. So you're kind of stranded for a bit, aren't you? It depends who you're with. And uh, mm. I'm not going to say any jingles here, but um, 
most situations where it's not your fault, uh, I think insurance policy. I know one major company gives you a car. You don't have to. You I, don't have to. You don't have to have paid for that. They give you a car if it's not your fault. I mean, I think you've got to have that. Like, as in, um, you've got to pay a little bit more on your premium, perhaps, to get that. But yes. um, well, I just had this out with my um, a renewal that they said no. If it's not your fault, and under your policy, we'll give you a car uh, while the car's getting fixed. So, don't quote me on that, but that was with the particular company I was Depends talking about. Depends on your insurer. But yeah, that's a good... And, uh, and you need that because... And I thought, oh, well, I'll run with that. But then I thought, well, perhaps it's not... Actually, I, I just took my car in to get it... It's a good point. I took my car in to get it fixed because I hit a kangaroo. But they said, well, that actually comes under the category of being your fault. Yeah, I suppose. So, it, I mean, it's, it really isn't, but it sort of is. That, well, it, you had to have another driver situation or something like that tree where they could say, well, it's not your fault. You know? um, yeah, someone I was talking to here in Geelong had their car written off by a kangaroo just this year. and um, I well, think, I've written one off with a kangaroo. Yeah. I've written off two cars at night. <laughs> wow. Um, why? Is it just the roads you drive on? or Well, they're all out back. One, I hit cattle. Yeah. Took out about three steers one night. Took so this was night time, you've got the lights on high beam. And well, both times when I've, I've had major accidents like that, it was coming through, and this is a, a good thing for people to note, it was coming through, I was just passing the lights of a semi. Mm. And uh, yes. the, the animals were in the... It, it, it were, I couldn't see the animals so because of the lights. Light. Yeah. And I hit them. Um, and um, You almost seem to be wearing night vision goggles. Well... It just happens out back. One was at Hay and one was in the Flinders Ranges, so it was out back. I know on a lot of those out back roads, they actually recommend you only drive during daylight hours, maybe in part for that reason, or maybe... Yeah, but life's a bit not like that. Though, I know, it? I know. But, um, you yeah, know, there's kangaroos on the move after dark as well, um, you know. It's amazing dynamic when the kangaroos are on the move. People say it's with the moonlight or what. I don't know. But when there are a lot of kangaroos around, I did notice that some nights I drive between here in the Flinders Ranges and you're getting to the other end in the dark and you wouldn't see a kangaroo the whole trip and other times it was a video game. Every three or four k's there'd be a rule of three or four mm. and they're so unpredictable and mm. it's so tiring. I've got, a, I've got a theory that they actually cross the country in waves and they move in huge waves eating and come back around. So if you drive through and they're actually the waves passed you're in in luck but if you drive through and you're so it's kind of like going through traffic lights and sometimes you get every green light and sometimes yep. you get every red light yeah it's a bit yeah, like that that's just the theory i've got and uh, they're just on the move oh and there's lots of them i'd imagine out there it's it's very very and they'll turn and come back into the car and t-bone you well that's the problem this person uh, no was logic. driving and the kangaroo was stopped on the side of the road next to the car. Yeah. And then as the car passed, they jumped, jumped into, into the it. car yeah. and hit it side no, on. No logic. And that damaged two panels. And yeah. I think with most cars nowadays, if you damage two panels, it's been written off, hasn't it? No, well, probably not really, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not good to damage two panels. Well, the panel beating seems to be a lost art. Yeah, isn't it funny? Yeah, that's all. Yeah, rip, rip things out. and Cars yeah. are made out of plastic now, really, aren't they? Like a lot of the... Um, crumple zones and things are just plastic, aren't they? Look, they are, and the policy seemed to me to be just get rid of anything that had the slightest mark on it mm. and replace it. That yep. was the easiest way to go, rather than repaint it or 
you know, spend any time trying to straighten it out. It was that was the that was the. So uh, watch the kangaroos. Now, something else I wanted to run past you, just because I know your stance on gambling. I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on the Crown Casino oh. findings and the fact that it gets to well, continue. Or would you have would you have gone in aggressively well, and shut it down? Well, Mitchell, in all of this, in all of this, where was the regulator? Mm, that's the regulator the problem, that was there. It? Where was the regulator? Mm. You know, they're ignoring that. And they're also ignoring the reports that the regulator would have made to the government. Where was the government with all of this? It was as plain as the nose, nose on your face. And uh, I, I, I think it's a pretty light um, remonstration to... You know, well, my concern is more that if there was a smaller corporation, and granted they weren't operating in an industry which is as heavily regulated as gambling, but if they were doing something as dodgy as what Crown has been accused well, hang of, hang on, it's not heavily regulated, is it? No, that's true, but in theory, it is gambling. Yes. Um, but you know, if there was a small company that had done what Crown is uh, reported doing from this royal and commission... And that's the unfairness. Like, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, they would be shut down. They would they? be and shut the directors down. would be, you know... There's too much money involved in this. That's why they weren't shut down. That's my take on it. Yeah, you probably own too many jobs, which, of course, jobs go with money, don't they? Now, did we say it's the it's twice as big as the biggest uh, Las Vegas casino? Yeah, that's maybe, or maybe it was at the time. I don't know if it's since. Well, it was only a few weeks ago. No, but like at the time when it opened in '97, it's a huge. um, Because I've been to some pretty big casinos in, uh, like Macau, for example. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to check. But um, it's big. Like for Melbourne, it's a real focal point, I think it's fair to say. Because when, you know, you're driving around, it's there on the skyline. You can't miss it. Yeah. Well, I think they should have come in for more. Uh, scrutiny and more there should have been stronger action taken what would you I, do? I just shut it down well if, you've got a, well you know what was the fine is there a fine there's not a fine yeah, I don't think so. I no. think there's this special manager, regulator person that comes in and watches them for two years. A little bit like the council monitors that they had down here when, uh, you know, the council was sacked and it, came back. They had council monitors. The point I'm making room. is I don't think anything's been solved by this whole well, we'll see. inquiry. You know? We'll see. Because presumably after two years, this person that's being paid to watch them would have to give some sort of a report or a finding on what they've seen over two years. So well, you'd be able to see... If what are the terms of reference for the person watching them? Quote, unquote. Surely they would exist. I haven't read them, but I'm sure that I document mean, would have to exist. Well, you'd like to think it does, but you'd like to think that there were strong options there. Mm. But we seem to just go along bumping down the road. They're doing what they want. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things to come out of the Royal Commission for me was when they specifically said that the chair and the CEO were not fit and proper people to be, I think they just about said in any way associated with a casino. And that was former Howard government MP Helen Coonan, who was the chair, and the CEO Xavier Walsh were found by the Royal Commission. They specifically said it's there in writing. Can you imagine that, seeing your name there in writing? Vic Bongiorno is not a proper person to it's own a casino. It's fairly damning, isn't it? Can you imagine how that damning. would feel? It's very damning. And how do you get a job after Strong that? Strong words, very damning. Anyway, we've got to fit in another break before midday and uh, we'll come back to wrap up for the final word after this. The Pulse. 20 seconds for your last word. Well, I just want to talk about next week's show. We are inviting Talia Ellis on. Talia is married to Courtney Ellis and uh, together they owned Outback Spirit Touring Company, which is 
which they sold. And now they own the Birdsville Pub and the Birdsville Bakery. All right, we'll talk next Friday. Thank you. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.